0: Hi, I'm Bobby Tomlin, and you're tuned in to Picking It Out with Andrew Pope.
1: Well, it's another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. It's another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. Bobby Tomlin in the house yeah and we're gonna be picking it out huh. hey y'all hope y'all doing good thank you for tuning in once again to picking it out my name's Andrew Pope and uh excited real excited this morning or this week y'all don't know it's this morning yet but or or not at all actually i guess but you got a uh man a multi-talented dude here he's a he's a singer songwriter he's been a country dj in his in his uh early days he's wrote songs for everybody just about it that you could think of uh man, I mean, just a just a a really good songwriter and got some new music out. Um, and a great artist and a a good dude, Bobby tomberland What's going on, man? Oh, man?
0: Well, it's thank you, number one, for those kind words, and I love your cap.
1: <laughs> Roll Tide,
0: Roll Tide, and I'm we hope. actually in my hometown of. <laughs> Louver Alabama today, I'm parked to get good reception. I'm parked in front of the Crenshaw County Courthouse.
1: There you go.
0: That's country.
1: Oh, yeah. You can't get no countryer than that, man.
0: No, believe me.
1: Maybe if you go down to Bruton, Alabama, where old uh, William Lee Golden's from, I bet that's pretty country out there.
0: You know what? It really is. I wasn't too far from there last night. When I'm down here, I love to just hop in the car and, and take my dad out, you know, and just drive around. I lost my mom back in November, so I try to get down here every few weeks, and we ended up in Greenville last night, and, you know, 15 minutes away is Georgiana where Hank Williams was born. Well, not born, but close to there, and, you know, a boyhood home there. So we kind of took that in. It's always kind of fun to walk downtown Georgiana. I mean, none of the stores hardly are open. And you know the railroad track runs right through the middle of town. So,
1: I'm I'm sorry about your mom. By the way, I lost mine in May, so I know oh, how God. you feel.
0: That's a, that's about as tough as it gets. I mean, it's really uh, that's been uh, you know what a life changer. I mean, <laughs> but uh, you know, you just move on and push through. Yeah, the best
1: you can. Uh, it's hit me harder than I really thought that it would. I knew it'd be hard because you only got one mama. Uh, but, man, it's it's been harder than, than I even thought. And it'll hit me out of nowhere. You know, I mean, it's, it, here it is Here it is. almost November. And it'll just kind of hit me out of nowhere, man. And it's like uh, I'll have a few good days and then I'll just be. I won't even know why I'm sad. But then, then you know, my wife kind of she knows more than I do most of the time.
0: I know it is weird how it will just hit you out of nowhere Yeah, because there's days I'll think man I'm really doing much better and then you just want to pick up the phone and it's really kind of it can be really tough when you're back like in my case in my hometown and it's it's still a big adjustment but you know I just have to be thankful for the time I had I know that sounds cliche but you really have to
1: you have to because
0: a lot of people don't get you know that many years with their mom so yeah we're blessed
1: we are we sure are um well how was Laverne Alabama you know growing up when you did in that small town because I'm from a small town in Alabama too as you know
0: tell me the town again
1: it's in Geraldine up in around yeah. Fort Payne.
0: right oh what a great area oh yeah I I love Fort Payne well The big difference, you know, between us, you've got that beautiful, those beautiful mountains and it's just, it's really, it's a feeling unlike anywhere else where you're from. I mean, it's funny. I drove through Fort Payne about a year ago and man, you just, it just made me feel good being there, the air and everything. But anyway, getting back to my hometown, you know, I want to say a lot hasn't changed. And the reason for that is the heart of the people. They're just some of the friendliest people, you know, they say, you know, on the sign, the welcome sign here says, welcome to the friendliest city in the South. And, and that it's really true. It's one of the most friendliest. And, um, you know, it's one of those towns, you go to the grocery store and you're there for an hour, just visiting with people. And, and I love it. I feel good here. I mean, like I said, I'm doing this, you know, podcast in front of the Crenshaw County courthouse. It just makes me happy. There's peace here. Yeah, there's not big big traffic jams that's for sure
1: no maybe maybe a little tractor traffic here and there it's well, about um, all you run. during into. the summer yeah
0: during the summertime you know going to the beach we do get a lot of beach traffic because there's not a bypass and i'm glad there isn't because in this town almost every one of the stores downtown you know the space is being used you know there's an old uh ice cream shop here. And you know, the old hardware store, the hardware store here actually used to be a theater and Hank Williams played here many times. The Carter family, Marty Robbins. Wow. And you know, you, you go in to buy some nails. <laughs> that's where, you know, people like Marty Robbins and Hank Williams walked, you know, Man.
1: that's something right there.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the old Chevrolet dealership, which now is like a lawnmower, um, shop and they sell lawnmowers and tractors it was uh hank williams played at the grand opening you've probably seen the picture before he's actually playing a fiddle and you know there's like a crowd of 200 people surrounding him and you would think that he was already a huge star but he was a regional star he was playing montgomery radio and then he would play you know in these areas you know south and north and east west of montgomery and uh, so anyway hank williams left uh you know, a big print even here in this county. This is the county that joins the county he was born and raised in. So, you know, everywhere you go here, I mean, I could take you literally to 10 spots within an hour in this little area where he played.
1: Wow. You know, it's, it's, I've, uh, the whole Williams family, I, I have total respect for, you know, uh, and I'm a big fan and, you know, probably not as much of an encyclopedia as you are, um, but I'm pretty, pretty damn close, probably. And Hank Williams, I mean, it's amazing. All of the people, and I mean rock stars, pop stars, you know, not just country people. That, oh, no. That Hank Williams, man, just they're like, hey, that's the guy right there. I mean, he's he's the man. To write those songs, people forget how young he was. That just blows my freaking mind every time I think about it.
0: And you know what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of those hit songs were written down here. He was singing those songs right here at this Chevrolet dealership one year before he had his first hit. He was already singing I Saw the Light. He was already singing honky-tonk blues, honky tonkin'. Those songs were already written down here
1: so he had to be like in his what early 20s i guess at that time yeah when he wrote all yeah that. amazing just
0: it really is
1: i miss that in music man i miss that uh you know george jones had that a lot of haggard a lot of them had it uh, hank jr definitely had it had it all but i mean right you know you just miss that like you can and don helms when you hear that steel coming in it just makes you, it takes you to a place. It makes you, you know, it's changed so much now. And I really miss that, that heartbeat in in country music, music in general, really the authenticity. You know what a
0: lot of, a lot of it was. And yeah, I think, you know, that was during a time when there wasn't a lot of money to be made either. And people like George Jones, you know, I've read his books and, and read and heard interviews and the people like him and Hank Williams, they played for the love of it. They weren't even thinking about success. Hank Williams wasn't even thinking about going to Nashville. I mean, I've heard that from many people around here. Now he did want to get his songs recorded. And when big, big artists would come to Montgomery or the surrounding areas, he would pitch songs, but man, he was just playing for the love of it. If it hadn't have been for Audrey, I I really believe he would have never even gone to Nashville, and that's not taking anything away from him with his talent. Mm-hmm. He was he was just doing it for the love of it, and so many of those people, like you're talking, you mentioned that's the case. I mean, Merle Haggard loved Lefty Frizzell and went to see him and do a show, and Lefty says, "Okay, sing a song." I mean, it was all just about the love. Yeah.
1: And I think that comes across to people, man. That's the thing. It's like, you can tell the difference. If somebody really loves I'm not saying
0: people don't, yeah, excuse me. I'm not saying that people don't love and have passion for music today. Let me clear that up. But it was just a whole different time. It was just a, you know, we're, we're talking about days before TV, you know, with, before most people had a television. So it was just a whole different time. And it was, but but I'll have to say, man, I, you know. I grew up with that kind of passion and I'm sure you did too. I I I'm definitely not comparing myself to those guys, but I'm saying for as far as the passion, I would have walked miles, miles to see Merle Haggard or Hank Williams Jr. or George Jones, you know. I just loved it.
1: Yeah. Well how did you get into to DJing?
0: Well, I had a you know, well first of all, you know a lot of my family members tell me you know, even when I was like four months old, they had to have the radio on, or I would cry. They had to keep the radio on, and that I was too. just cons- oh really they wow. said
1: i they said I went hum in tune in my crib. I
0: don't
1: know no explanation, but
0: I doubt I was in tune <laughs>
1: you' <a> little <laughs> out- I'm still a little out of tune. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But no, I just, you know, I was singing on tree stumps, you know, singing Hank Williams songs and, you know, records. And, you know, and my family, for the most part, they're not musical. I had a couple of uncles who played the guitar and they showed me chords on the guitar. But I had a make believe radio station in my bedroom when I was like five years old. I would do the weather forecast and and try to read the news you know i would jot down i can't even imagine doing that at five years old but and it's so fun it's funny it's kind of sounds like i was so smart but in school i was terrible my grades weren't that great and the teachers used to tell me they were like if you would only apply yourself as you know dedicate so much time just half the time you do to music you know there would be such a change in your grades but but anyway make believe radio station And one uh, Saturday morning, my dad and I were at an old Western Auto store. I don't know if you remember those stores. You may be too young. But it was just one of those stores where they had everything from record players to washers and triers. And they had a record rack. And and we would go in there every uh, Saturday morning. Actually, it's one street over from where I'm doing this podcast. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Joe Rexport he owned the radio station and he was the superintendent of education here in the County and uh, kind of an odd combination there, but you know, he gave jobs to a lot of the school kids after school. And anyway, my dad just approached him and said, Ben Bobby is just ate up with, you know, has a little make believe radio station, loves music so much. Can he come down there sometime? And I went down there that afternoon and mr sports son tom he uh he let me cue up a record right there and and get on the air and from that moment i was hooked and then after a little bit of time i became the afternoon and weekend disc jockey at that station funny thing the guy i'm talking about tom he was smart he didn't go into music he he's a judge here and he's here at this courthouse. He's in here as we speak. And then here we are all these years later.
1: <laughs> Full circle. <laughs>
0: oh, no, gosh. It just hit me as I was saying that.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was probably a little different back then, I guess, than it is now. Did
0: yeah. You know? I mean, I've told this in many interviews. There was a Billboard magazine resource book. And it had all of the office numbers, you know, Ray Price Enterprises, Hank Williams Jr. Enterprises, Farron Young, Johnny Cash. And I just started dialing up these numbers, asking if I could get an interview with these people. And, you know, we're talking the early 80s and it just seemed like a very easy thing. I mean, I remember secretary saying, oh, yeah, two o'clock, call this number and Mr. Arnold, Eddie Arnold, will be able to chat for 10 or 15 minutes. And, and I have most of those interviews on cassette.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: And I hadn't been to Nashville at that time either. So that was just creating more excitement for the first time that I did go.
1: Who was the first one that you got to interview? The first one that you were like, man, this is, this is something here.
0: I can remember it very well. Fair and young. And for anyone watching or listening that they don't know Farron, you know the song that Willie Nelson wrote, Hello Walls. Hello Walls. Yeah. And he he was huge. He was a huge star. But by that time, you know, he was still doing a lot of shows, wasn't recording much, but I did an interview with him. My second one, I remember, was with Jeannie C. Riley, Harper Valley PTA. Oh, yeah. And uh, then I just, from there, Bobby Bear, you know, just, And then a few in person too, you know, when there would be concerts in Montgomery, I would go up there and go to the press conferences like the group Alabama and, you know, over in Troy. You know, I remember Ronnie Mosap and Shelly West and David Frizzell came over there. and Boy, what a magical time. I mean, you know, and again, I'm not one of these guys that live, I don't live in the past. But boy, when I do reflect, I think a lot of times... I didn't realize how special it was at the time because at that time all of my heroes were still alive. Mm-hmm. Even when I came to Nashville. You know, even Roy Acuff was still playing the Opry in the early 90s, you know. So. Yeah. Well,
1: how did uh how did you get get Maltes' attention? I know mean, he was kind of pivotal.
0: Well, he really was and when I left, well I worked through high school at a radio station here in my hometown of Luverne. Then I went to a town, Andalusia, Alabama. One of the things they're famous for is Hank and Audrey Williams got married there. Yeah. But I went to work there and it was actually Hank Williams' cousin, Edna, who got me the gig. The radio station here burned down. I worked at the Pepsi Cola bottling company warehouse for a few months and it was just, it was killing me. You know, a guy trying to write songs and had been, hiding behind a microphone all those years. I'm like, I've got to get out of here and and do something with music, even if it's getting back into radio. But I was going to take a job at a radio station in Greenville, Alabama, which was about 20 minutes from my hometown. And Hank Williams' cousin and Anna called me and she said, we know the manager, my husband and I know the manager at the station in Andalusia. And I'm like, no, nope, doesn't matter. I've got a gig in Greenville. She says, you, we're going to take you. You're going to at least least to go down there and have a meeting with him. I'm like, okay, fine. And we go and I walk in the door and the manager meets me. And and he says, Oh, the guy working right now is a songwriter and he's going to be leaving in about three months. He came home for a few months to take care of his sick parents. His name's Billy Henderson. And Billy at that time had written for TG shepherd, Jerry Reed, and, and several other artists. And so I they hired me. I was working on the AM station. He was on the FM, and we were working side by side. And I started pitching him song ideas. And he became my mentor in songwriting. And that led me to Muscle Shoals. He eventually went back and he was roommates with Marty Rabin and Mike McGuire of this new group at the time, Shannon Dawck. Marty got married. There was a radio gig opened in Muscle Shoals had opened up, and Billy came home and he says, "Man, there's a room in our apartment. Shenandoah's going to hit the road. I'm going to be their road manager. Sixty nine dollars a month. Your part. Can you imagine that? No. And and I got the radio gig and off to Muscle Shoals I went. There was a guy there by the name of Jim Martin, songwriter." who's had a lot of cuts, and um, he was there going to school at UNA, University of North Alabama, and we started writing songs, and he one day he told me, well, I'm done. I've graduated. I'm going to Nashville, and I'm like, Jim, why would you go to Nashville? Stay in Muscle Souls. No, I'm going to Nashville. Well, he gets an internship with Mel Tillis' publishing company, and he plays Mel some of our songs and some of his songs and Mel starts demoing them. And I drove up for one of the demo sessions in Nashville and Mel says, uh, how would you like a contract? And I'm like, what kind of contract? I mean, I had no idea you could even get a contract. if You <laughs> yeah. hadn't already had 10 hit. So I, anyway, $100 a week. And I went back and gave a two weeks notice and off to Nashville, I went and worked at Kroger at nighttime and wrote for Mel Tillis' publishing company during the daytime. And that's, and I always have to say, Jim Martin, you know, gosh, if I, you know, it's funny, the little, the links, the connections,
1: yeah. like
0: if I had have gone to that other radio station down here, I very well could have just settled and never, ever pursued songwriting on a serious level because I had been to Nashville one time at that point And my dad drove me up there, and, man, I was intimidated. I'm like, I don't know anyone. So I came back really kind of thinking I'm just going to be in radio, and that's going to be good enough. And But, again, I went to the other radio station, met my songwriting mentor, go to Muscle Shoals. And even though I was roommates with one of the Shannon Shenandoah guys, and they were very supportive, by the way, huge. But it took meeting another guy who was hungry, just like I was just to break through somehow to get some attention. And that's what I always tell people. Every a lot of people, you know, they ask, "Oh, how do I do that? I need to meet someone famous. I need to meet." I said, "Really, you need to just maybe connect with someone who's kind of at a level like you are and have, you know, and that has that drive and that hunger because it's amazing what can come out of that."
1: Yeah. Wow. It it, it one thing does lead to another. That's how it's been in my case. You know, uh, just you, you, you just, if you keep doing it, you're going to progress and and then it may, you may kind of slide back from that, but then you may kind of go a little forward a little more something good may happen out of something bad. Like you said, the links, all the links are connected, you know, to make it all it's everybody I've talked to and myself included. That's kind of how it's been. One thing leads to this, this leads to that. Uh, and, and it, and but how, how- there's people out there, you know, and they, I feel like in that old days in Nashville, Bobby bear, Mel Tillis, you know, people like that, that kind of had some clout. They would, they would give people a chance and it's, I don't feel like it's that way anymore so much. It's just different. It's a whole different animal now. But what a time to be there. That, that had to be the best time to be a part of that, that whole music row deal. My opinion. Well,
0: I feel like I, I got in right on the end of all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like I said, so many heroes were still alive then. So at Mel's Publishing Company, it was a two-story building. And he rented out office space to other people. So George Nancy Jones had an office, uh, a booking agent by the name of Joe Taylor, who booked Porter Wagoner, Connie Smith, little Jimmy Dickens, fair and young. So you'd walk in and <laughs> you never knew who you were going to see. Scott Hendricks, who is one of the heads of Warner Brothers. Now he had an office and he was producing Brooks and Dunn. I remember hearing Bootscoot and Boogie upstairs when they were listening to the first mix. Um, so, yeah. You'd walk in. You might see Ronnie Dunn. You might see little Jimmy Dickens and his wife, or George Jones, complaining, wanting to go home to see Gunsmoke, and and then <laughs> Mel Matt Tillis Locked. may. Yeah, yeah, right. And our Mel Tillis may be in from Branson, and and maybe Roger Miller is visiting him for a couple of hours. I mean, it really was. Gosh, it was a special time. It's. I wish we'd have had cell phone cameras back then.
1: Oh man. Yeah, that'd have been. It, it's almost. It's almost better that you didn't, because that, that's that's True. your that's your that's yours. That's, you know that's yours. You get to, you get to have that. You know, uh, some of the moments that I've experienced with guys like Bobby Bear, you know, uh, I, I spent the night at him and Jeannie's house one time. When we were writing, and you know they wow. were just generous people. And he had you know he's got Shell's old guitar. And then he's got the fender, the telly that the Waylon gave him. That's got the W on the neck. I think it's in the Hall of Fame now. But there's a picture that Jeannie took of me and him. He's got Shell's guitar, and then I've got the Waylon Telecaster. Um, I, I would not trade anything wow. for that. Nothing.
0: No, that's that's huge.
1: I love him. You know, I haven't it's- talked to him in a while, uh, but man, I I love that guy.
0: Yeah, and to think, you know, here's a guy who was recording for RCA Records back in the 60s, and he heard Waylon Jennings sing at a bar, and he calls Chet Atkins and says, you've got to sign him. Yeah. And as I heard Bobby tell in an interview, he's like, really? I was kind of cutting my own cutting, throat. Uh-huh. He and I were doing kind of the same thing. But, I mean, that really says a lot about it, about someone.
1: Man, it really does. I mean, that's, you know... He played, me a, he played me a video one time on on uh, YouTube on his phone when I was sitting in the living room over there at their house. It was a live uh, performance of Waylon doing Loving Her Was Easier. And he had tears in his eyes, man. And he said, that's the Waylon Jennings I fell in love with. That's why I called Chet. And that's a real thing. <laughs> that's a real thing. Oh, wow. You know, then we get up the next morning, and he's frying bacon. And, you know, he's kind of like slow, slow mode, you know, and the damn grease popped. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen it move so fast. That was so funny, man. <laughs>
0: oh, that's a funny thought. And he talked, you
1: know, he talked about when Horde Axton got down and he used to live down the road and he said he'd go over there and make breakfast for him. You know, just stuff like that, man. I, I'm wow. just a sponge.
0: Well, absolutely. It's
1: amazing. Uh, do you remember the first the first song after you signed with Mel that you that you got cut? Or how long? Oh, it the took? first
0: one, the first one cut by a major mm-hmm. artist, with uh, Billy Dean, and it was a couple of years actually into my contract. I mean, I just I worked at Kroger, you know, every night watching the clock, and we'd go in and write, 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 and And somehow, well, no, not somehow. I know how it happened. (laughs) Mel Tillis, the lady who worked in the office that kind of handled the contracts for the songs, she had um, let Billy Dean, when he first came to town, stay in a guest house on her property. And she says she heard a song that I had written with Stephen Dale Jones, and she said, give me a rough uh, mix of that. I'm going to go to Billy Dean's session tonight and just kind of visit and hang out and I'd love to pitch that. And she pitched it to him on a break and he cut it. And she called me at Kroger and I couldn't even like, I mean, I was just out of my mind. I couldn't bag groceries. I couldn't check out anyone. And I was so excited. I got to hear the rough mix of the actual recording the next day. And, you know, I come back here to my hometown telling everyone, Oh, I finally got me a song cut. And then the guy who was running Capitol records at the time, Jimmy Bowen, he just totally shelved the album and he came in and took over production. And so that song never came out, but, and then that was the case for the next, like two or three songs. I mean, I had two or three that never, you know, were released, but finally Linda Davis, she recorded a song called love didn't do it. He did. And, and it came out and it was a single, uh, and that just, that did so much for me just uh gave me so much more confidence and and just you know just enough taste to just keep on going and working hard
1: yeah and then you had a uh, a, a little song people may know it was a, a little song i don't know if it was ever a hit or not i, mean, I don't know if it was number one it called uh one more day by some group diamond rio i think was their name
0: Two more days by Diamond Trio. (laughs) That's why Grandpa Jones, he introduced them one time at the Opry and said, Ladies and gentlemen, Diamond Trio.
1: (laughs) I love it. Oh, I've heard so many good Grandpa stories, man.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'd love to meet that
1: guy. Oh, man. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm thinking about one, but I can't, I really can't tell it, but he, (laughs) what a funny, funny guy, but yeah, Diamond Rio just, that was such a blessing with the song getting paired with the right artist because it really needed those harmonies, I think to really let it be what it could really be. And the way they play their own instruments, it was just really magic when, when they went in and recorded that song.
1: i I actually didn't know that they were they played their own session on oh yeah Mm.
0: oh yeah they never brought in other musicians they played everything like gene the mandolin jimmy the guitar and dan on the keyboard i mean just really really amazing musicians
1: wow and that was a multi-week i mean how many weeks was that that number it was
0: well and it actually ended up crossing over in the adult contemporary chart and in the the mainstream pop chart and and uh <laughs> that was just kind of crazy. I mean, we knew we had something special when we wrote that song, but we never dreamt that it would do what it did and it just it connected with so many people who uh you know were losing and had lost loved ones and was being used immediately in memorial services and then a few months later 9-11 happened and that totally took it to another place and uh where it was being used for uh, 9-11 tributes
1: that had to be really like a whole nother level of, of special when that happened
0: it was a whirlwind because I mean, I'd had songs recorded and had singles, but nothing like that. And I mean, looking back at it now, a lot of it was just a blur. I mean, you go from literally like just pretty much zero to, you know, nominations for award shows and interviews and, you know, just the whole craziness, uh, that happens when a record hits like that. And, uh, it was it was just a lot it was a whirlwind and then getting emails and letters like diamond rio's management office would send us all of these letters from people and they would be very specific with their stories how they had lost a child mm. or lost a, you know a companion and and it was just a, it was, i mean there was a period it was like hundreds of them a week and i would just sit down and it was just overwhelming it mm. really was
1: yeah i can't imagine um I really can't imagine how that would, you know, 9 nine eleven it just kind of, it, it was, it was a, a terrible tragedy, but it brought everybody together, you know, we're I've, now it's so far from that, but it was, it was nice just for a little while to, for everybody to be united together like we should be.
0: Boy, wasn't it, though? I mean, such a shame that something like that had to happen. But still, I remember just driving down in Nashville, you know, even at a Walgreens on their sign. God bless the USA. Yeah. You know, everywhere you looked and, you know, and with what's happened in the past year and a half with this pandemic. At first, I thought it was going to really bring people together. But boy, that hasn't been the case, unfortunately.
1: No, no, it hasn't. It's, uh, uh, I'll be glad when all this is, is over. Um, and unfortunately it's news, you know, to, to keep people at, you know, separate ends of the, of the thing. I mean, and it's, it, because it creates stories and news and clicks and what have you. And, you know, I feel like it. It a lot of times the news just divides us more, but
0: I tell you, I'm you know, like the Hank Jr. song says, "I'm for love, I'm for happiness." Yeah, you know, that's what I'm. What I'm for. I'm. I tell you, life's tough enough, especially this past year.
1: Yeah, uh, I had a, a thought after you said that song because I remember a version, and I'm for. If you don't like Hank Williams, kiss this ass. <laughs> Have you heard that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a few yeah. times.
0: I think it's on the live record, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, man, what a, what a, what a, a hell of an entertainment. I mean, he's like, for me, that's it. Like, he's the, do you remember the first time you met him? Was it when you was doing the radio stuff?
0: Oh, gosh. I, I was, I thought you were going to say the first time I ever saw a concert of his. And that was my first concert, actually, in Mount Olive, Alabama, the Hank Williams Memorial Celebration. I was just a little kid. And first concert, Hank Williams Jr., maybe the second show after the mountain fall. Wow! And in the pro- program, it still had a picture pre-mountain fall. There, it was so fresh. Things were so new. They didn't even have publicity photos for the new, you know, the new look. And he came out there, I'll never forget. He came out there and he had one of those Les Paul Gipsons. And he said, all right, folks, this ain't the same Bo Cephas that you've seen in the past. And he, he went into Sweet Home, Alabama volume, at least volume nine. And I had never seen anything like that. And it just really changed my life. And, and, you know, with Hank Jr., he really just, when you go to his show, you really, you get 100% of him. You know what I mean? He really opens up his heart. He says what's on his mind at that minute. And he just sings his his heart out. I mean, he really does. And it's quite a musical journey. But anyway, that was the first time I saw him. The first time I met him. I got to know Merle Kilgore mm. when I was a ki- when I was a kid, and and uh, a lady named Connie Smith—not the singer Connie Smith, but a, a Connie Smith that was worked in his offices in Coleman, Alabama—and they invited me to come to a museum opening in Nashville on Demumbria and now where the Tin Roof and so many of the bars are. There used to be Waylon Jennings Museum, the Conway Twitty record shop. Alabama had a store. Well, anyway, there was a Hank Williams Jr. Family Tradition Museum and they invited me to come to the grand opening. And I just, that was my second trip to Nashville. And I just couldn't believe it. I walked in and there's Johnny Cash, June Carter, Waylon Jennings, Jesse Coulter, Dickie Betts of the Allman brothers and Hank Jr. And it's like, again, I was very young. And what do you say to someone? And -hmm. I walked up and I, I think I said something stupid like, well, how's the deer hunting down in Troy, Alabama, which is the town next to my hometown? And he was and he was kind. It's like, well, if you want to get a deer, go to Troy. (laughs) You know, and that was the meeting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about um, right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But he was nice. I mean, he wasn't rude. Yeah. But uh, but it's funny, but just such. But he's a nice guy. Such a good who has. It's amazing that he has walking about since after all he's been through. And a lot of people have given him a hard time, but he has a right. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. He has a right to say whatever he wants to. Oh, Oh yeah. And really pretty much do what he wants to because, you know, shoved out there at eight years old and, you know, opening shows for Ernest Tubb and Grandpa Jones, and then ends up having to be the headliner because everybody wants to see Hank Williams' skin. Yeah. And, I mean, I can't imagine that, wearing some of the clothing, playing your dad that you never knew, that you maybe have one or two memories of, playing his guitar. Um, I, again, I can't even comprehend what that must have been like. Growing up so quick, And being around people like Fats Domino at a young age, showing you, you know, how to play the piano, Jerry Lee Lewis, or going to Earl Scruggs' house for banjo lessons. And uh, again, I mean, just even talking about it, it just blows my mind. And then, of course, having your brain knocked out when you're in your 20s on a mountain fall, literally the guy with him had to like kind of shove his brain back in with his two, with two fingers and to g- literally having your face broken to pieces and so many surgeries and then just dealing with the whole Nashville establishment of the sixties and early seventies where they wanted him to just be the reincarnation of his dad. I mean, his booking agent back then, you know, they would, I mean, I've heard in interviews and I've read and heard from people that were there that no, they were like, No, 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 no. They don't want to hear your song, sing your dad's songs. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm sure it was pretty cool when you're nine and 12 years old, but when you're hitting 23, 24, that's a whole different story. But boy, has he survived and so many other losses and heartaches. But um, (laughs) if there's ever, I mean, he should be, his picture should be, Beside the definition and be beside the word survivor in the dictionary.
1: 100%. And thank God for Merle Kilgore. I say that all the time. I never met Merle.
0: Oh, what a character.
1: But man, yeah, I've heard. And thank God for him. He was the one damn guy that just. He he man, he he had to be like it had to be weird because the age difference thing, too. He had to be like kind of like a a, a, like a brother to him, but also kind of like a dad figure kind of guiding him and, you know, dragging him out there, trying to keep him focused on the on the shows and the business stuff. And at the same time, he he encouraged him, man. He nobody I feel like nobody encouraged, you know, Hank Jr. to do his own stuff, because like you said, it was like that in his early 20s and all this. and Merle, man, interesting.
0: I've never thought about that. but You're right. It wasn't like there was a group around him saying, "No, okay, find yourself, find yourself musically." You're right there, and you know he had to go to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, to to find it, to find him himself musically. And boy, did he!
1: Yeah, and, and I think Waylon was a big part in that too. The the men, well, Sh- that's true. Me and Shooter are very good friends, and we geek out on this Hank stuff all the time. And our record is the New South. That's oh. my favorite, Hank. It's just something, there it's just, you can almost kind of feel like you're there. And, and you can hear his true artistry coming out. I mean, the Hank Jr. and Friends, I think, was really pivotal. But the New South, to me, just encompasses everything, you know. And Waylon just, I mean, you can, <laughs> even Uncle Penn, the way they did it. They had Rick Hall playing the fiddle. You can hear him kind of say, "All right, jump in there, Rick." You know? don't. He's like, "We'll do it while the machine's on. Go ahead and play one." I love that, you know.
0: Oh God, that changed. That was another moment that changed my life when I heard that record. When I heard "Feeling Better," yes, and you know, and it was really stripped down. Yeah, not over, not overproduced by any means. And then I heard those Steve Young songs like "Montgomery in the Rain" and "Oh Yeah,
1: Long Way to Hollywood." Long
0: way. Oh. And then the New South too in that song, and uh, I that was unlike any. I mean, Waylon was sure doing his thing at that time, and that was really, you know, being that was really a inspiration to me. But then I heard Hank, and he was totally doing it in another little area. You know, yeah. he was on an island by himself.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I I feel like about Kilgore. I feel like if if it hadn't have been for him. We may not ever got, he he may not ever been what he became. He may not ever felt comfortable enough to express his true songs that, you know, stoned at the jukebox, you know, stuff like this that he's writing, living proof. My God, you know, all these songs, it's like he's pouring his damn heart out and nobody encouraged him to do that except for Merle Kilgore. I feel like Merle would sit there like this and just said, play me everything you wrote. I want to hear everything. You know, just he was his, I feel like he was his only support, even before he was manager. You know, when JR was managing him and, and Coleman, like he was talking about, Merle was there. He was and those there. Those
0: were very, those were very important years to him being able to come to Coleman, Alabama and have a place to come to and leave Nashville at yeah. that moment. I mean, that, there couldn't have been better timing for that. I mean, because the heartache, that he had gone through at that time. And then was uh, then the mountain fall was just around the corner. I mean, it was good that he was in Coleman, Alabama. I think.
1: Did you ever go by the Montana exchange store?
0: Oh gosh. Yes. I sure did. I, that was a great little store. There's a bank sitting there now where it used to be, but, uh, Oh gosh. Yeah. I can remember his office there. And then Merle's office and the the Western store, all the boots, the jeans, and the hats. I mean, it was really cool. And then, of course, the Mary Carter Paint Store. Mm-hmm. It's in downtown Coleman from the song "I've Got Rights." You know, it's still yes, there.
1: Mm-hmm. I've actually I bought went to the Mary Carter. Yeah, I bought, Paint a,
0: tackle, store. bought a tackle box there last year. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: I'm glad it's still there.
1: Hmm. Me too. Um, you got to know hillary williams which is hank's daughter from um becky becky holly and hillary and they're they're the two the only two from becky and hank right
0: right it's funny holly actually was an intern for curb publishing Mm. and it was so funny because i hadn't seen holly in years and one day, it was on a Friday, and she says, oh, I've got to hurry. I'm going to go to my dad's show this weekend. I said, hey, who's your dad? She said, oh, Hank Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because <"Pommy?" laughs> so I'd seen her as a kid. And then um, Hillary, I, who did I meet? I met Hillary, actually, out in uh, in Los Angeles when we were nominated for the ACMs at the hotel where I was staying. There was a bar, and then afterward, Merle Kilgore and... Hank's wife, Mary Jane, and I think Kid Rock was there, and Hillary was there, and, and Mary Jane actually introduced me and told Hillary, get a CD. You've made a CD of three songs. Get it and get a copy and give it to Bobby, and she did, and I loved it, but I never did call. There was a number on there, and I didn't think you know too much about it other than, wow, she has a good voice, and mm-hmm. great, a really good voice, but then a few months after that, I was at this recording session. They needed some background vocalist for a song called the games people play that Hank recorded for his. I'm one of you record. And they had the producer, Doug Johnson ask me to come in and he asked several people to come in and there was Hillary in the corner. And I'm like, I know you, where have I met you? And, and then we realized it was from the ACMs. And she said, well, we should write sometimes. And And she's very back then. She was very shy. She even, says now I, she said, that was so unlike me to to do that but anyway we exchanged numbers and we started writing songs and then it wasn't long till you know she and Holly had that horrific car accident yeah and uh, Hillary actually died like two or three times and came back and and you know she's had over 30 surgeries it's just it's talking about another miracle a walking miracle it's just Unbelievable what she's been through.
1: And you you were actually there at the hospital in uh, Memphis, right, when that happened?
0: Yeah. You know, I'll never forget. I was eating lunch, and a guy by the name of John Oser, who was working at Curb at the time, called me. And he says, you're just not going to believe it. Holly and Hillary have been in this, this terrible accident. I don't know if they're going to make it. And so I rushed to Curb. And Doug Johnson was producing Hank at that time. And he just told me, get in the car, you know, and I, before I could even think about it, we were off to Memphis and, and I did see her that next day and just couldn't believe it. I was in shock. Um, and Holly, you know, ended up Holly made it out. Okay. She had a, few, a lot of scrapes and so forth. And, and, uh, but I, I just couldn't believe what was happening and what was to come in the following weeks. I mean, it was, it was not good but but thank god she survived
1: i remember uh watching a press conference that hank junior did from the hospital um and i just remember seeing him like how is he i can't imagine what he's going through i i don't know if that time if they if she was like okay we've got her stable she's going to have to have more surgery but she's good she's not going to die or if you're still kind of waiting but he was emotional and and you know it it was the the whole stupid thing happened and it was in the it was eventually dismissed it was something in the peabody hotel or whatever i don't even some waitress said he tried to grab her or something they couldn't prove it so you know it's a bunch of hogwash probably but Going wow, through all that and him having to do that to defend—that's Absolutely. That's crazy. Uh, it had to be a crazy time to see. I mean, I could, I remember seeing him in that press conference; like he was tore up, man. You know, tore up.
0: Absolutely. I just remember. I remember being over there and coming home that weekend, and I just ended up in bed for two days. I was just literally sick mm-hmm. myself from all of the drama. I mean, it was just too much. I mean, it was up, down, up, down. Yeah. Not knowing if she was going to live and it, but man, what a testimony she has.
1: Yeah. Uh, That whole family, man, has just been through a lot, you know, with losing Hank and Mary Jane's daughter, Katie, which I know that you, you got to know her and, and Sam, their son as well. He's killing it right now. I mean, he's he's big time, and you've Ain't been really. you've been you know very close with him in the past few years. But Katie losing Katie like that, I, I just my heart kind of sank. I never met him, but my heart just kind of sank. You know, that's got to be hard.
0: She was she was such a sweet soul. I mean, really cared about other people and and uh, you know their aunt Loretta, Audrey's sister, who lived, you know, about 30 minutes from my hometown here, she had passed away. And of course it was during the pandemic, but everybody came down for her funeral. So everyone, it was so, it's crazy to look back how everybody was together and they had that moment there. And then, you know, she passed away the following day after going back home and and what a void, I mean, for so many people, there's so many people loved her. She was, she was a giver. She, she helped, she loved her community and just a beautiful person.
1: I can't imagine what that would be like. That kind of loss, you know, your own, your own child I can't
0: either. I know I mentioned losing a mom's about as bad as it can get, but I mean, losing a kid, I I have one son and I just can't even imagine that. So, Um,
1: how did you get hooked up with Sam? How did you, you know, figure out that he was into music and he was trying to do his own thing? And
0: well, I remember Sam when he was a kid. I remember him back at the hospital when Hillary and Holly had their accident. I remember. Him at eight years old, Hillary and I actually took him to see Gwen Stefani, of all people. <laughs> we took him to a concert, and he was just a sweet little kid. I remember after the concert, you know, there, it was at the arena downtown Nashville, and I remember popcorn boxes everywhere and Coke cups. And, and he was like, we can't leave yet. We have to clean up. And he was down there cleaning up trash And, you know, I just started helping him. I remember I'm like, okay, but after a while, I said, we need to leave. But I thought that's really something for him to be that considerate. But he was just always so kind. I would see him at the Opry when Holly would perform. She brought him out a couple of times with her. And he would walk up, you know, like an old, have an old shucks attitude. Are you writing any songs? And then he reached out to me on social media and um, asked me what, what I consider taking him over to meet Bart Herbison at the Nashville Songwriter Association, and then he played me some of his music, and Bart was blown away, and, and then the next thing you know, we're doing sh- sh- shows together, you know, in Alaska and Michigan, and we came back and did a hometown show here in, in my hometown of Luverne, and it was his first full show down here in South Alabama, and gosh, it was like all, you know, so many people that had seen Hank Sr. came out, And it was just really a cool, cool night. It was very special. But I've I've loved watching him grow musically and as a person and and songwriter wise. He he's just got it. He is a natural born songwriter. I couldn't believe some of the lyrics. You know, you were talking about you couldn't believe Hank Senior writing what he did Mm. in his early twenties. Well, I can't believe, you know, some of the things Sam has written, you know, in his early twenties. It's just blows my mind
1: and his dad supports him in all this has he offered oh
0: yeah came to his grand Ole opry debut and absolutely
1: that's a big deal because you know he don't care really anything about the opry i don't think he he's kind of like uh y'all you know because there's that kind of tension there it always has been. I know he's done a few things at the Grand Ole Opry. You know, he did the the Hank Williams Memorial thing with uh when, when Little Jimmy Dickens. I'll never forget that watching that Little Jimmy Dickens. Inter- <laughs> he introduced him too early, and Vince Gill came out, and I'm not Hank Junior either. <laughs> <laughs> typ- typical that, Vince Gill fashion. I
0: like that was a funny, funny night. <laughs> I remember that night. I re- what I remember about that night is. Hank had uh, t Tot's grandson. Yeah. T Tot, anyone that don't that don't know, was the blues street singer that showed Hank Sr. the first chords on the guitar and and where Hank Williams really developed a lot of that. Well, no doubt. He developed the whole fusion of the blues with country. You know, blues music with, you know, Ernest Tubb and Roy Acuff all combined. But anyway, he had T-Tot's grandson out there and he was in a wheelchair and it was just a beautiful, beautiful night. But, but no, Sam, I encourage anyone watching or listening to check out his music. He's a brand new record on the universal called glass house children. And it's really, it's, it's really good. It's not, uh, it's not just ear candy. There's some, there's a lot of substance there.
1: And you've gotten to know, uh, Hank throughout the years now and, and, you know, being, being close in ever with everyone in the Williams family, has he ever, I don't, I don't want to say offered advice or wisdom or knowledge or, you know, whatever, but has he ever uh, talked to you about, you know, things in his life? Just kind of,
0: I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, as far as music, that's one reason i i feel like i have a a a friendship with him because you know we talk about south alabama we talk Mm -hmm. about things like you know his grandmother with a you know when there's a rat rat uh, rattlesnake in the yard you know coming out with a hole and just splitting that snake into stuff like that mainly but i mean there's been some stories definitely from the old days you know maybe about grandpa jones or lefty frizzell but mainly it's just about that day and just going to find a great restaurant and, Mm -hmm. and talking about a lot about South Alabama and just uh, because that really changed his life growing up, spending time down here with his granddad and grandmother shepherd. I mean, that changed a lot of things with, with him. I mean, of course they would. I mean, when you're raised in Nashville and there's parties at your house on Franklin road and, you know, and then you imagine that, you know, one night there's, perry como there's jerry lee lewis earl scruggs and then you come down here out in the middle of nowhere dirt roads and country ham frying and you know that's that's the other end of the spectrum and there's a lot to be learned from that too
1: yeah and and he could be a kid there
0: absolutely he needed that's why i love i get it that's why i love coming back here every chance i can because i'm All of a sudden, I'm like that kid again and not worrying about getting songs recorded, actually getting inspired to write songs, Mm -hmm. you know, versus being on Music Row because it's hard to get inspired. I'm not putting it down, but it's hard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was even the 90s, 80s, 70s. You can't. To me, I have to get out and live and get inspired. I just can't go into an office or a room every day and just... I've got to live. I mean, there's some guys that can do that. though. Yeah. But I'm, I guess, that old-fashioned writer where I've got to go out. Me too. Just experience life. You know, I love, like Tom T. Hall said in an interview one time, he said he would go into these little towns before he really became famous, and he would check in at a mom-and-pop hotel, motel, (laughs) and just set up shop for about three days and go to a local cafe every morning, see the same guy's. You know, drinking their coffee and reading the newspaper and listening to their conversation. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I wish I could have known Tom T Hall. Talking about a great writer, Uh, just um, I met him, you know. But I, he would have been one that would have been really interesting to just spend a few hours with. I think talking about wisdom, like everything that it seems like that came out of his mouth was, you know, was quite the you know was wisdom
1: yeah him and christopherson it's like okay write this down (laughs) every time they talk yeah oh
0: but yet tom t what a loss man yeah i always hated that he retired so soon you know but i mean i know he he wouldn't have done that if he didn't want to but good for him but gosh it's too bad that another generation didn't get to see him at the grand opry
1: Man, what a storyteller.
0: But there's the music, thank goodness. So I encourage everyone to go dig in the old Tom T. Hall catalog because there is a gold mine.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody that don't know who Tom T. Hall is watching or listening to this, go look it up and buy something. Buy something. Yeah. If you're an aspiring songwriter go go look it up any uh Clayton Delaney uh, Old Dogs Watermelon Wine mean, any just pick one you know home I mean gummy. that's how I
0: got to Memphis That's how I got just to Memphis conversational lyric Yeah I learned a lot I learned a lot from listening to him maybe not musically but lyrically Yeah because I mean just like an Old Dogs Children and Watermelon Wine I mean the opening line how old do you think I am he said. Mm. Wow. I mean And I I say that in writing appointments a lot of times. If you get stuck, I'm like, what would you really say in this situation?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And and, uh, a lot of times if you can write a conversation and read it off on paper like it's a conversation, you know, those are like he stopped loving her today. You know, I mean, you could just read that. And that's that's. You know,
0: when I was in Muscle Shoals, there was a great songwriter there by the name of Robert Byrne. He passed away several years ago, but he wrote songs. He wrote, I think, four number ones for Earl Thomas Connolly. Mm. He wrote What I'd Say Once in a Blue Moon. That was a close one. And in his song, I Can't Win for Losing You, I remember when I lived in Muscle Shoals, I would study those lyrics because think about it how it opens. Hey, how have you been? Good to see you again. Yeah, I mean, I can't win for losing. Of course, that was a hook. Yeah, but it's still—I just can't get over you. It's just real, yeah, you know. And then the song "What I'd Say," you know, you're looking mm, well or
1: go to you know, hell. hell. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably my favorite Earl Thomas Conley song. You know, I mean, it, it's—I—I I, I wish that I wish we had more of that kind of uh writing now. I feel like it's just kind of. I mean, I know that it's out there, but it's just, uh, you got to kind of find it. You know what I mean? It's because it's not, it's not, it's not popular right now. You know, story.
0: I know the bar was so high at that time for songs. Yeah. And it didn't matter who wrote it. I mean, if somebody could come in with, I mean, a good example of that is like the song, little rock, Mm like Tom Douglas wrote that. And, you know, he was living, I think in Texas. But it was such a great song. It found its way. And there's there's many other examples of, of writers like that and songs like that. But
1: I know you got to know, and by the way, anybody that don't follow Bobby on Instagram or social media, please go follow him because he posts these really, really uh, pic- personal pictures with people like, little Jimmy Dickens I've seen and you'll tell the story behind it. You know, like I remember this day and like you, maybe you were spending all day with him and he was talking or y'all were writing or, uh, so go follow him, go follow Bobby Tomlin on any social media, uh, with, with, with Tater there in mind. How did, how do you think y'all kind of just hit it off and become so, Was he like a mentor type thing or did it, was it like y'all didn't talk about that kind of thing?
0: I'll tell you exactly. And, you know, and you were asking about like some of the Williams family, all of it has been in an organic way. I've never chased it. That's like Sam, like Hillary, you know, just meeting her randomly and, and it just, it's just come together, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just comfortable. It's, it's right. And with Little Jimmy, I met him when I was sound engineer for Bill Anderson from the Opry. I took that gig after my Kroger gig. And, you know, we're talking 1998 through 2001. So, so many of those legends were still around, like Porter Wagoner, Little Jimmy. uh, And we did a lot of package shows where there may be five to seven artists on the show. And Little Jimmy was on a lot of our shows. So after everybody else would go to bed and we'd be at the hotel, he would just sit in the bar and have a glass of wine. And I would just sit there with him and just I love talking to him like an old granddad. He I didn't ever look at him like, oh, this is little Jimmy Dickens and the rhinestones. And I love that little Jimmy, but I love the little Jimmy that just wore his little button ups yeah. out of his, you know, jeans and his little hat, not his stage hat, but his little straw hat and just the sweet man. That was so funny off stage, maybe even funnier off stage <laughs> if that's possible. And he just loved, loved life. He loved Christmas time. He loved decorating. He was like a kid. He, I, I helped him many times decorate his outside of his home, and he was he was like, "Well, we need to go to Big Lots. We need to go to Kmart. We need to." And his wife would be like, "Jimmy, we have enough. No, we need. To, I need to check on." And I mean, really the spirit of a child. And I think that's why he lived to be 94 mm. because, I mean, of course he loved what he did. He loved going to the Grand Ole Opry, but he, he loved going to casinos and they didn't spend a lot of money, but I mean, he just loved to play slots and just sat there and loved Christmas time, loved, uh, <laughs> never forget, you know, he, I remember being at a show and, And he did. He would he would like share little moments like like what I'm about to tell. He would one day we were at a show and he said, you know, Minnie Pearl told me one time she said just go out and love the audience and they'll love you back if you love them and really show that and really mean it. Wow. And you know he would share little things like that. And uh, I remember going with him to a show over in the Georgia mountain fair and we ended up getting lost and I didn't want to tell him I was lost <laughs> after about 30 minutes, he looked up, you know, under his head, and he said, believe you're lost. Aren't you Bobby? I mean, it's just funny. I mean, and when he said things like that, it was so much funnier than it re- probably <laughs> really is. But, yeah. but boy, do I miss him? I, I took him to the grand Ole Opry. The last time he performed never mm. dreaming it was his last in the last year of his life if i were in town i would drive him out there and it was just such a thrill to be with him and i remember just simple things like getting on i-65 off concord road where he lived and traffic would be just dry people would be driving good lord goodness i mean you know look (laughs) at them they're going 120 you know just funny little things (laughs) like that and I remember the last time I took him to the opera. it was at the Ryman during the holidays. And he looked up at me and he said, Bobby, you don't know about missing someone until you've missed them for over 60 years. He said, I miss Hank Williams as much today as I did in 1953. Now that's... Man. Mm. That's really something you don't forget.
1: Man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something that you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about until you're, I guess, around, you know, when you, you, you get up on an age and, you know, Bobby Bear told me after Mel died. No, it was after Merle died because Bobby's birthday was the day after. Merle's birthday and, and the same, you know, he died, Merle died on his birthday, haggard.
0: I forgot about that.
1: And Bobby's birthday was the next day. And I called him just to kind of talk. And he said, I I said, uh, well, happy birthday, you know, and I'm sorry to hear about Merle. And he said, uh, he said, well, you get, you get to a point where you just, you lose so many of them and, and it's just, just like a passerby, you know, thing. And he said, uh, what's really, what's what's really scary is when you start thinking and you can't think of anybody that's older than you are that you know. You know, that's something you, you couldn't think about. I almost teared up, you know, when he said that, because that's just really Man, you know, people, these legends, all these legends have lived these crazy lives, been everywhere, had everything they could want, most of them. Some of them, you know, lost it, like George Jones. Um, some of them just, you know, it, and to to end up with that kind of thought right there, that, that's I don't know if that'd be, I, I'm, that's, that's a scary thing, but I don't know if that would be like, okay, I'm just ready to go now, you know? I mean, I feel like some people could really get get kind of wrapped up in that kind of thinking, you know? Like, it can put you in a, that would have to just put you in like a state of just something totally different.
0: Well, I know now, I you know, I've had so many friends that are a lot older. That have passed away, and I've thought it a couple of times. I'm like, wow. I, Sometimes I feel like some I have more friends that have passed on than ones remaining that are very close. Yeah. So I can only imagine somebody like Bobby Bear. I remember little Jimmy one time at the Opry backstage. He looked at me and yeah, he was always. It seems like in deep thought so much of the time, and you had no clue what was going on in that head. Yeah. But. I remember one time he says, you know, it's really something to to still be here and go out on that stage when you, you go out there and you're standing in the wings and then you start thinking about Minnie and Roy Acuff and Bill Monroe. And then you think even about Wayland Jennings already being gone. Or, uh, he says, that's really something to, when you realize, wow, I'm one of the last guys standing <laughs>
1: Yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be. I'll never forget Bobby saying that to me. Uh, uh, Cuz I can hear the hurt in his voice when he said it. Of course, Bear. I mean, you know. Uh, he he when he sings, I love his voice now too because it's got that age in it, but it's still Bobby Bear. And man, he's like he he just you can hear that Mary go song that he did on that last record. <coughs> or he did two of them, but
0: i drink oh Oh, my god God. that that i was just listening to that last week he he has such a lonesome yeah sound in his voice unlike anyone maybe i mean other than hank williams i mean it's just so lonesome and i love it i love it
1: the songwriter the song that y'all wrote i love that song too that's a great you know
0: that's Thank you so much. It's funny. That song kind of originated at Hank Williams's grave. The guy that takes care of that grave, his name's Terry Faust, And he's a great songwriter, actually. He lives in Slapout, Alabama. I bet you haven't heard of Slapout, have you?
1: Even I ain't <laughs> heard of Slapout. I'm slap out of Ideas people. where that might be.
0: <laughs> Not a lot of people have, you know. But anyway, Terry was there taking care of the grave. I was driving through Montgomery and I thought, you know, I haven't been by there in a while. I'm going to stop by. And I stopped by and it was just a beautiful day. I mean, up on that hill and the train was passing by below and blowing the whistle. And and all of a sudden, Terry's like, I was really having a moment there. Just really a peaceful moment. Terry's like, man, I got a song idea. I'm thinking, no, not right now. And then he, like, shares some of that idea with me about the songwriter's song. And I'm like, man, I love this. It just so happens. I was writing with bear and, and then we finished it. And, and uh, but I always laugh. I'm like, I get, did Hank kind of whisper that idea to you
1: <laughs> yeah, he probably did. I've been out Maybe there. To, some- I've been out there to the grave. It, you, you, it's kind of a little vibe that you get. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, I've, I've been inspired out there. I, I stopped I, and I stopped by the museum uh, that Beth Petty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love that museum, man. I we Oh, I took them all there.
0: If you're watching, listening, and you've never been, we're plugging all these things today, but definitely go to the Hank Williams Museum in Montgomery. They have the car you know i'm I'm sorry to break that up but I just realized I'm wearing the seat belt that's gonna look so funny <laughs> uh, <laughs> Once I'm in a car like I said at front of the Crenshaw county courthouse and I parked and never took my seat <laughs> seatbelt off
1: <laughs> I didn't realize it either
0: <laughs> I don't know why that's cracking me up but it is <laughs> but but yeah the museum is um you know so many of the stage clothes and you saw it, but really, people, if you want to really feel that whole vibe of 1950, go there.
1: Yeah, the and then buildings. Go, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say the buildings all around there. It's the same buildings. They don't tear them down there. They don't. They don't put in uh, pharmacies on every corner there in Montgomery. Not in that little strip of land. And you go there and you see this high rise. And that's where WSFA Radio was, where Hank and Audrey played in the mornings for 10 years. You look around, you don't have to look very far. And there's a place um, called, uh, gosh, what is it called? It's a theater, the Davis Theater. But it used to be the Paramount Theater. That's where Hank Williams played before Tarzan movies on Saturday afternoon back in the 40s. The place where he played his last songs. It used to be called the Eli Cafe. Well, it's still there. It's not called the Eli, but it's just, you know, a couple of streets over. So, you know, his favorite little restaurant, Chris's Hot Dogs.
1: Chris's Hot Dogs, yep.
0: So it's like, again, stepping back in, I said the 50s, but the 40s, you know, when you go there. But do yourself a favor, make a trip to Montgomery.
1: Yeah, and also go to Georgiana and and to the uh, childhood home. That's a really cool treat, too. Beautiful house, too.
0: It is. And that captures a whole different vibe. That, you know, that captures the young Hank. And and just trying to imagine the old blues street singer T-Tot showing him, you know, them playing underneath that house. You know, there's an open area where you can get under there and just kind of sit. So just imagine a young Hank Williams and this blues man playing underneath that house. And there it is. You can go. I, lo- I love Georgiana, too.
1: There's so many beautiful spots in Alabama, uh, all the way up in North Alabama, all the way down to South Alabama. You know, uh, it, 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 a lot of – you were talking about Troy earlier, where Hank Jr. has a place. A lot of Troy's not really changed. I feel like if you go in a gas station – oh, actually, I, I, that's true because – We were coming from Panama City one time. We went to the beach. We went right through Troy, and I said, I'm going to find the Almira Club. And nobody could tell me an address or anything how to get there. Bobby, I stopped by a gas station. There's two old guys in overalls sitting in there. Yeah, you go up here, and you turn left by that other gas station up the road, and you'll come to this four-way crossing. And you go you go through that first, and then the second one, you'll turn left on, and it'll be about three-quarters of a mile down there on the left. It'll be right there. And I was like, okay, you know, got in the car. She's like, what this? they say? I said, hold on, don't say nothing. And I followed the exact steps while I still had them in my mind. There it was. <laughs> there it was. Uh, have you been out there?
0: You know, I haven't. I have never been out there. I can't believe I haven't, but that's uh, for anyone watching. You know, Hank Jr. cut an album there called the Almira Club, and uh, that's one of those places where Hank and Audrey and the Drifting Cowboys would play, just like so many. I mean, there's so many community centers around here that were schoolhouses. I mean, right over here, there's this little community called Rutledge, And, and recently someone found a little clipping from the newspaper advertising a show that Hank was doing in at the Rutledge Schoolhouse.
1: That's cool. That's, That's really so cool. Oh,
0: there's actually, there's a house. It actually has two apartments. It's divided. It's out here on the Troy Highway, just outside of my hometown. And it used to be called Club 29, and it actually was a club. And Hank probably played there every Thursday night for 20 weeks back in the 40s
1: wow so so much so much history uh you know just in that area i mean all the history we've talked about just with hank williams that's just amazing you know it
0: really is
1: um so if you're in the montgomery area uh we've just given you the williams tour basically of where to go all you were all you're missing is the pamphlet and the gps coordinates but you can find those (laughs) so your new your new album man uh It's really good. How did you, did you just want to put something out there? Or did you just have these songs and you just wanted to, um, you know, felt like it should be out there? Is it something you've been working on for a while? Or No,
0: not at all. I Well, I put out one album out called Out of Road that has the song, the songwriter you're talking about. Mm -hmm. In my version, One More Day, I put that out a while back. But just released this one song for now called I've Lived Country Music and I just, uh, you know, was in the Muscle shows area visiting back in June, and and I drove by Wishbone Studios, and I thought, gosh, I haven't been in here in years, and I walked in, and my old friend Billy Lawson was there, and we started talking, and he says, man, you should record something here, and then I thought, you know what, I have just the song that I'll, I'll record here, and you know, that's the studio where Hank recorded Family Tradition and so many other hits. And and the Temptations, Roy Orbison, Mac McAnally, you know, got his start there. And it has quite the history. And, you know, there's still people cutting there T. Graham Brown, Sammy Kershaw, B.J. Thomas before he passed. And uh, it just felt right. It felt like walking back into 1979, other than the equipment is updated. And I love that feeling, it was inspiring. And I'm so glad I did that, and I, I planned to do more, actually.
1: And that song, I've loved country music. I mean, you, it's been getting out there, pretty it good. It really
0: has. It's kind of surprised me, to be honest with you, because I just wanted to put some music out, and because I do a lot of shows, and and you know, it's shocked me how many people, radio stations, have actually been playing it. A lot of secondary stations, you know, in Texas and Michigan and Alabama and and been getting a lot of play in the UK. And, and you know, and a lot of the radio people have told me we love it because it's real. The people love it because it is real and from the heart. I was kind of hesitant about the song in the beginning because I didn't want it to look like, oh, here's a song. Look what I've done. But it, I realized it comes from such a humble place. It says you know i dreamed of doing this in a two stop light town again where i'm at today and uh, and that's the that's and you know it's totally like <laughs> i'm just saying i can't believe it i can't believe some of these things have happened and i really can't i mean sitting here reflecting and i'm actually doing it here in my hometown it even hits it hits to the heart a little more today doing it here i'm glad i am doing it here
1: yeah, it's, it's not a thing where you're just saying, Hey, look, look at me, everybody. It's just, no, it, it's, that's what you were saying. It, it's not, I'm not bragging about all this stuff that I've got to meet people I've got to meet or whatever. I, you know, I totally relate to that. that people ask me sometimes like about meeting people and I say, you know, I don't really, I don't really, I, f- I don't feel comfortable because I've not reached a level of success, uh, that, I feel like I can just kind of casually say, you know, something like I would say to you. And, but you're, you don't, you don't take it like I'm trying to be a prick or something. I, I just have a problem with like no. talking to people a lot of times about these things because I feel like I'm trying to show off or something, but that's, that's totally not the no. case. You know, uh, I
0: don't take, I, I totally, I, you know, I, I, this is the most we've ever talked. I mean, I think maybe yes. we've texted something but yeah. i've heard all about you from my buddy martin Narmore. i know your heart i've seen some of your posts and heard some of your music so i know where you're coming from but but it's but you know the song that i released again some of those lines i sold groceries to conway twitty i didn't know him mm-hmm. i didn't go write a song with him or sing with him i i sold groceries when i was at kroger to him i shook merle haggard's hand i didn't know him you know, or I got to tell Merle Haggard how much his song's been to me. I, I you know, but then again I I have been blessed to know some wonderful people like little Jimmy or Phil Everly and and different ones and so it's just a beauty. You know what? It's just it's a I'm just thankful. I mean I I was trying to say something a lot more deeper than that, but the truth is I'm just thankful. Can't believe it. Uh I have a lot more I wanna do. And I basically just keep doing what I'm doing and, uh, I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm thankful that I left. It was hard to leave this town. It was very safe here for me. It was safe going into a radio station. The people are wonderful. They're so supportive. It's hard to leave that and go to a big city where, you know, no one knows your name and there's crazy traffic. So it's,
1: but just like, uh, jamie johnson and teddy gentry said that god put stars in alabama to help you find your way back home you know
0: that's very true and it doesn't take long hit i-65 and then 331 and i'm here in five hours so i'm thankful for that i'm thankful it's not you know a 12-hour drive
1: yeah have you ever heard the song "Bible in a bus ticket home the Danny no. uh, Confederate Railroad, uh, I think it was on their first or second record.
0: I don't remember that one.
1: Oh, it's a good one. It, it's that, I'll check it out. It's that kind of thing too. Um uh you um working on anything new in the future or anything like that, music wise? Or? Know, I'm
0: just always writing, always writing songs and written some stuff lately that I'm i'm really proud of you know and i feel strong about and i'll be going back in at some point and and recording some more stuff and just you know love doing shows uh speaking of georgiana i have a show coming up here with tess frizzell very talented singer songwriter who comes from a crazy country music family you know lefty frizzell david frizzell was her uncles and alan her dad and her grandmother, Dottie West, and mother, Shelly West. So, that, you know, those shows are fun, and uh, I don't know. I'm just blessed with a lot of people, you know, whether it's Martin Armore singing Neil Young on the prayer list. That <laughs> inspires me to be on stage and share a stage with people like that, or Sam, and it's just, uh, it's all good, yeah, all good. Is.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, man. Uh, tell them, tell them where you can go get your new, new record, new, new stuff at,
0: you know, Bobby dot And then of course I'm all over the social media, like everyone else. And it's spelled T O M B E R L I N Facebook, Instagram, and all that fun stuff.
1: Good to talk to you, man. Really well, good, good to talk to, talk to, to
0: you. you, too. I've never done an interview before or a podcast with a seatbelt on, it, mm-hmm. most of it, but that was funny.
1: Well
0: But I just, I really enjoyed this, and like I said, it was really cool doing it while I was yeah back in my hometown and, and just reflecting, thinking about a lot of stuff that I haven't thought about in a long, long time.
1: I'm just afraid if you sit there much longer that the judge is going to come bring you in, Put you on the witness stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that
0: would be just like him. I actually was kind of hoping he was going to come out because I would have called him over and put him on the camera. That oh, yeah. That would have been fun. Well, man. Oh, my gosh. It's such a small town. There's my uncle <laughs> going in the court. <laughs> there you go. Probably paying for his license plate. Look at that. How about that? Uncle Leo. didn't know he was in town today (laughs) about 20 miles up the road in the country in bradleton alabama thank you very much
1: there's a reason for everything
0: i'm telling you
1: it all it all leads together it's all a big puzzle and it's just there's a reason for everything i'm a firm believer in that man
0: me too well it's just been a pleasure and yes sir great getting to know you more and uh Look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Yep, you too. And I appreciate everybody watching and listening to Picking It Out this week with Bobby Tomberlin, and we'll see you next time.